A big welcome back, everyone, to the Evidence-Based Hair Podcast, Season 6, Episode Number 1. I'm Dr. Jeff Donovan. The Evidence-Based Hair Podcast is produced by the Donovan Hair Academy. It was created for hair loss practitioners and for all those who wish to dive into the fascinating and ever-changing world of hair loss. Each week, I review research studies that are changing how we think about hair loss. I'll introduce them to you, help you make sense of them, and give you my thoughts on just how a given study just might change how we diagnose or treat hair loss. Today, our theme is baricitinib, and we'll review some recent studies related to baricitinib. We begin by a very nice study by Dr. King and colleagues in the British Journal of Dermatology, September, which is a follow-up to the Brave AA1 and Brave AA2 data. King and colleagues study 515 individuals receiving the 4 milligram dose of baricitinib and 340 receiving the 2 milligram dose. And look at just when does hair grow back when patients with severe alopecia areata start baricitinib. Well, they used as a parameter to monitor the SALT 30 or a 30% improvement in the SALT score as a key parameter to study. And they found that 33% were early responders, meaning they showed a 30% improvement in their SALT score or a 30% reduction in the SALT score by week 12. 28% were gradual responders. In other words, between week 12 and week 36, they showed a SALT 30. 8% were late responders, meaning they didn't achieve that SALT 30 score until beyond week 36 and 31% were non-responders. So a really nice study. We'll dive into this and a number of other key points in the study and take a look at what this means for our patients with severe alopecia areata that are starting baricitinib. Then we'll take a look at a nice study by Gargiulo and colleagues in the Journal of Dermatologic Treatment, December 2023. The authors here looked at 50 patients with severe alopecia areata that were treated with baricitinib and they looked at the data in their patients at week 16, 24, and 36. They were quite interested in their data at week 36 because that's, of course, when the Brave AA1 and Brave AA2 study researchers set their cutoff for the data they submitted to the FDA, which was ultimately led to its approval. There's 50 patients in their study, just 11 completed the 36 weeks, but 54.6% of those 11 patients achieved a SALT score less than 20. So a very nice real-world data type study. And we'll take a look at this study and we'll touch briefly on why these real-world studies, why these studies that are done in the clinic with a whole variety of patients are really important and complement randomized controlled trial data. So the references for all these studies are in the show notes that accompany this episode. The Evidence-Based Hair Podcast was created for educational purposes and shouldn't be considered a substitute for medical advice. So let's begin then by this very nice study by King and colleagues titled When to Expect Scalp Hair Regrowth During Treatment of Severe Alopecia Areata with Baricitinib, colon, 
insights from trajectories analyses of patients enrolled in two phase three trials. So I really like this study. I think it's really important as it helps us understand how regrowth occurs when patients with severe alopecia areata start baricitinib and what are some key things that we need to remember when we're counseling patients. Now let me begin by saying, in case you weren't aware, there's no two patients that are identical. And so it should come as no surprise that no two humans respond exactly the same way to the same medications. And so patients respond very differently to JAK inhibitors. Some respond very quickly within the first month. They're having some really nice results. Some patients take a long, long time. So some patients respond with very rapid and robust regrowth. Some take a long time and some don't respond at all. So what proportion of patients respond quickly and what proportion of patients take a little bit longer? And are there any factors that make it more likely that someone's going to start regrowing quickly? Or are there factors that predict someone will be quite delayed before they start seeing regrowth? Well, that was a key point in this study by King and colleagues. They set out to address this very issue. When do we expect scalp hair regrowth in patients with severe alopecia areata. So the authors of the BRAVE AA studies, BRAVE AA1 and BRAVE AA2, set out to re-examine their very nice data. And we've talked about the BRAVE AA1 and BRAVE AA2 data many times on the Evidence-Based Hair podcast. These were the two randomized controlled trials that led ultimately to the FDA approval of baricitinib on June 13th, 2022. So the BRAVE AA trials, for those not familiar, were two double-blind, randomized, placebo-controlled trials conducted at 169 centers in 10 countries. They enrolled patients with severe alopecia areata, meaning a SALT score of 50 or more. And they had to have an alopecia areata episode lasting six months to eight years without any sort of evidence of spontaneous improvement. And patients were randomized in a 3 to 2 to 2 manner to receive either baricitinib 4 milligrams, baricitinib 2 milligrams, or placebo. And so the authors here set out to look at their data in patients receiving baricitinib 2 milligrams or 4 milligrams in those who had received and maintained the same dose through week 52. And so there were 515 patients they found that received 4 milligrams baricitinib and 340 patients that received 2 milligrams baricitinib. Now in the 4 milligram group, the mean age of patients was 37 years, 60% were female, 52% were white, 35% were Asian, 9% were black or African American. 36% had a duration of hair loss more than 4 years, and the mean SALT score was 85. And 52% of patients had very severe alopecia areata, meaning a SALT score of 95 to 100. So one of the things which was so great about the BRAVE AA1 and 2 trials is that it enrolled patients with not only SALT scores of 50 or more, but quite a significant proportion of patients with severe, very severe alopecia areata. So the authors here decided to denote a SALT 30 
or the proportion of the achievement of a 30% improvement in the SALT score as someone being a responder to baricitinib. So 51% of patients who received 2 milligrams achieved a 30% improvement in the SALT score at least once over the 52 weeks they reviewed, and 69% of patients in the 4 milligram group achieved a SALT 30 at least once over the 52 weeks of treatment. So the authors identified three groups of responders, early responders, gradual responders, and late responders. So the early responders were those that achieved a 30% improvement in their SALT score by week 12. The gradual responders are those that achieved that SALT 30 between week 12 and 36. And late responders were those that achieved that SALT 30 score after week 36, between week 36 and 52. So 33% of patients were found to be early responders in the 4 milligram baricitinib group. 28% were gradual responders, so they had a SALT 30 sometime between week 12 and 36, and 8% were late responders. And importantly, there were 31% of patients that didn't respond at all to baricitinib. That's important for us to remember. Not everybody responds to baricitinib. Patients with a shorter disease duration were more likely to be responders. So patients with a disease duration less than four years were more likely to achieve assault 30 than patients with a disease duration more than four years. What was interesting is that Patients with a disease duration less than four years were not necessarily more likely to be early responders, but they were just like more likely to be responders to achieve that 30% improvement in their SALT score. The extent of hair loss was a very important parameter. It had a key influence on the timing of regrowth, and the author showed that early responders were more likely to be patients with less severe forms of alopecia areata, like a SALT-55. So someone with a SALT-55 was much more likely to be an early responder than someone with a SALT-100, alopecia totalis. Only 15 to 20% of those that were early responders had very severe alopecia areata. And so late responders, those who achieved assault 30 between week 36 and 52 were more likely to have very severe alopecia areata. And about 70% of late responders had very severe alopecia areata. And early responders had a better chance of achieving good regrowth by week 52 compared to late responders. So when we take a closer look at the early responders, those patients that are achieving that 30% reduction in their SALT score by week 12, 80% of early responders that were treated with baricitin at 4 milligrams achieved a 50% reduction in their SALT score by week 16. More than 70% of them achieved a SALT score less than 20 by week 24. And up to 62% achieved a SALT score less than 10 by week 52. So phenomenal results by week 52. 62%. Those are pretty high numbers.
when you look at the gradual responders, you see that instead of 60% achieving the phenomenal result by week 52, 34% of gradual responders achieved assault less than 10 at week 52. So the chances of phenomenal regrowth are going down if you're a gradual responder compared to if you're an early responder. But still, 51% achieved assault score less than 20. And when you look at the late responders, those patients that are achieving a 30% reduction in their SALT score between week 36 and 52 were down to 10%, achieving a SALT score less than 10 by week 52, and 20% achieving a SALT score less than 20. So I really like this paper. It's a really helpful paper. It guides us regarding the types of counseling we need to give patients with severe alopecia areata that are starting baricitinib. The study reminds us that if a patient is going to respond to the drug, most patients will respond by eight months. 33% of patients are going to be showing some results in the first three months. 28% are gradual responders, sometime between month three and month eight. There's just a very small proportion of patients, under 10%, who are going to start their growth after month eight. So it's a small proportion, but it's an important message. If a patient is willing to keep going and they don't really have much growth in month six and seven, there's a chance. It's a small chance, but there's a chance that they can still achieve growth by continuing baricitinib. But I think a key message that we shouldn't miss in this paper is that as time goes on, the chances of getting some nice regrowth with baricitinib drops. And if a patient hasn't responded to baricitinib by week 36, it's more likely than not that they're not going to grow their hair than they will grow their hair. And so it's not simply that some patients are delayed and we should think that this paper tells us that some patients are early and some patients are delayed. This paper tells us that yes, some people are delayed in their regrowth, but it's a small proportion. And as time marches on, the chances of regrowth drop. It's still pretty good if they're not showing much growth by week, month four, five, six. Still, still okay. 34% will still have a fantastic result by week 52. But it's dropping. And if you're not getting good growth by month eight, it's dropping even more significantly. The data does tell us that patients with more severe forms of alopecia areata are more likely to be delayed. So we have to tell patients right up front with Totalis and Universalis that, yes, you might have read online that some patients respond in month two and three, but patients with severe alopecia are more likely to be delayed. The study helps us set realistic expectations. Most late responders are not going to achieve as good of results as early responders. And in this study, only 20% of the late responders achieved assault less than 20 at week 52. 80% of late responders didn't achieve that. Now, of course, some late responders might keep improving beyond the end of year one. So 20% isn't the number that are ever going to achieve assault 20. Probably 30% of late responders or 25% of late responders are going to achieve some good regrowth eventually. 
But the key point is, is that late responders probably have a lower chance of achieving great results compared to early responders. So I think this is really important. When you first read this paper, your feeling is, okay, conclusion of the paper, some respond early, some respond in the middle, some respond late. When I read this paper, my feeling is that the more important message is that, yes, some respond early, some respond midway, a small proportion respond late. But the key message is that the longer and longer it takes to respond, the less and less likely someone is to have fantastic results. And so if you take the number of months that it takes to show some good results, let's say it takes four months to, to achieve a SALT 30 or a 30% improvement. Let's say it takes four months. Multiply that by 10, you get 40. Subtract that from 100 you get 60. Now you have the proportion of patients that will achieve a SALT less than 10 at week 52. So if patients respond by month four, there's a 60% chance that the patient will achieve, achieve a SALT less than 10 at week 52. So all in all, the authors propose that the time at which a patient achieves a 30% reduction in their SALT score or SALT 30 has prognostic significance. I really like this paper. I think it would be nice for the authors to really include their 104-week data, so their two-year data, because what we don't know in this study is what proportion of late responders really end up having nice results by the end of year two. And so if you start growing month eight, nine, 10, 11, and you achieve your SALT 30 by month 11, what proportion of patients end up having assault less than 20 or assault less than 10? That's a missing piece of the puzzle here. But I really like this study. A question I'm often asked is, should we start adding other therapies or combination therapies if we're not seeing growth with baricitinib? It's a bit of a tricky question, and, and the answer depends on the expert that you ask. We're in a phase in the world right now where people love combination therapy. I think more people love combination therapy than don't love combination therapy. And I hear clinicians all the time saying, oh yeah, I add oral minoxidil to baricitinib all the time. Some clinicians say I give a pulse of dexamethasone if I'm not seeing results. I give a tiny dose of cyclosporin. We're beginning to see studies come out with combination therapy. I'm not a fan of combination therapy too early on in the course of treatment, and I'll tell you why. This study here by King and colleagues in the British Journal is such a beautiful study because it tells me more confidently why I don't like combination therapy. So let me remind you, if, if there's not much of a response by six months, 50% of patients are still going to have some pretty nice results by week 52. And if you go about adding too many therapies too early, you lose the ability to figure out what's helping. And this is forgotten. If you start two treatments at the same time, you can't tell which is helping very well. And these are lifelong treatments for patients with severe alopecia areata, usually. So if you have a patient with alopecia totalis and universalis and they start a JAK inhibitor, it's most likely lifelong treatment. 5, 10, 20, 30, 50, 60 years. That's a long time. Could be 70 years, 80 years. 
I feel that I owe it to the patient to figure out just how well the JAK inhibitor is working. And if it takes me two more months, and they're going to be on the drug 80 years, I feel two months is, is worth it. And so this study reinforces to me just how important the first three months is. I really hope my patient responds in the first three months with some growth. Yes, in my opinion, it matters if a patient responds in the first three months than if they respond in the fifth month or eighth month. It matters. Whether they respond in the first three months is so important because if they respond in the first three months, it means they're quite likely to have some good regrowth. The study here by King and colleagues would tend to suggest that early responders and gradual responders are fairly equal. 33% are early responders, 28% are gradual responders. But it's a little bit inaccurate in how the data is portrayed. 33% of patients are early responders, meaning they achieve assault 30 in the first 12 weeks. But there's 15% that respond between month three and month five, and another 15% or so that respond between month five and month eight, month six and month eight. So it's not quite balanced in three-month intervals. The three-month period with the most responders is the first three months. So that's really important. The second message that this paper teaches me is that patients with early regrowth have a high chance of amazing results, and they don't need other therapies right away, most likely. So if I see a patient who's doing really well in the first 12 weeks, they're probably going to do great. So the way I view it is I don't want to add anything else to the treatment plan. They're probably going to do really well. So I'm not going to add oral minoxidil. I'm not going to add topical minoxidil. I'm not going to add anything else. Growth in the first three months is such an important sign. And it tells us that probably the patient's going to be able to achieve their nice results with just the drug. The one single drug. Growth in the first three months is basically all the hair follicles shouting out, we can do this with just baricitinib. We can do this. If there's not good signs of regrowth by three months, you're reducing your chances day by day, week by week of achieving outstanding results by week 52. Now, the chances are still pretty good if you achieve assault 30 in month four, five, six, seven, eight. It's still pretty good, but it's diminishing. And this is a really important message because I feel if I'm not seeing evidence of good growth by six months, it tells me there's a better chance than not that we're not going to get good results. Yes, some people still can, but statistically speaking, if there's no growth by month six, there's a better chance we're not going to get regrowth. So should we continue baricitinib or should we abandon therapy altogether? Well, this study tells us that it's probably worth continuing because some patients do get delayed responses. But if I don't see growth by month six, I'll actually continue baricitinib or any other JAK inhibitor without adding other therapies. Because for me, I want to figure out if I'm going to actually need to abandon baricitinib. I want to know, is it an effective treatment or not? 
Some might argue we're not seeing growth. Let's add a little pulse of dexamethasone. Let's add cyclosporin. You'll read papers like this. They're coming out. You'll hear people like this. But I'm not personally a fan of adding combination treatment in the first nine months to a year. I certainly add it in year two, three, four. We have lots of patients with different combinations. But I feel I owe it to the patient to figure out if the JAK inhibitor that they're committing to, sometimes financially, but certainly side effect wise, I owe it to them to figure out if it works or not. And so if I'm not seeing any growth by month six, I'm not going to start any treatments, other treatments quite yet. I'm going to continue it and figure out once and for all, does this JAK inhibitor work? And if it doesn't, we're going to abandon it. We're going to move on to something else. Could be another JAK inhibitor we move on to, or it could be another therapy. But if there is some growth at month six, just not a lot, that's the tough part. That's where professional judgment comes in. If there's some sluggish growth, month 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, it's more likely than not that we're going to need some help. We're going to need combination therapy. It's less and less likely that baricitinib is going to be able to do this on its own. Not impossible, but less likely. 50% of gradual responders will achieve nice results, but it's clear that it reduces as time goes by. So if there's only a bit of growth at six months or eight months for a patient with alopecia totalis and universalis, I might wait a little bit longer. That's my preference. It's a bit of professional judgment, and each clinician has their own opinion on it. But certainly if there's some evidence of growth and I feel it's helping a bit, I don't think it's going to help completely. I don't think the baricitinib is going to do it on its own but it does do something, then I'm going to start thinking about adding oral minoxidil or steroid injections. Often steroid injections are just one half of the scalp to figure out how much is the steroid injections going to contribute. And the bigger decision is whether to add other immunosuppressants. I'm not a great fan of this in the first nine months to 12 months because I'm really trying to figure out how well does this JAK inhibitor work. So I would rather wait a little bit longer, but there are some cases where that just doesn't seem like the right plan. So we need to be open to understanding these odds as time marches forward and there's no growth or there's poor growth. The odds are diminishing that we're going to achieve good growth. All in all, I think we have to be careful about concluding that this is a study that tells us that some respond early, some respond in the middle, and some respond late. That is true, but the reality is that less than 20% of patients respond really well if it's been more than eight months before growth starts taking place. And even with time, it's unlikely that more than 25% of late responders are going to achieve a SALT score less than 20, even with more time. Most are not going to respond well. So the title of this paper is When to Expect Scalp Hair Regrowth During Treatment of Severe Alopecia Areata with Baricitinib. So I think it's one thing to conclude, oh, just be patient, some respond late. I think the correct conclusion is some do respond late, 
longer and longer you go after six to eight months, the less and less likely you are to get amazing results. So we need to not only be patient for those who, who are going to grow, but we need to be patient to be ready to hit the, the big red button that says this drug does not work for you. And one in three patients with advanced alopecia areata are not going to respond to baricitinib. So we have to keep that in mind. That has to be really an important governing principle when we start baricitinib. So the title of the paper, When to Expect Scalp Hair Regrowth, is probably better written, When to Expect Scalp Hair Regrowth During Treatment of Severe Alopecia Areata with Baricitinib If the Patient is Going to Respond at All. There's no right or wrong answer when to start combination therapy. Lots and lots of papers are coming out with combination therapy. And personally, I differ in my views. That's okay. I think you need to figure out your own views and what makes sense to you. These are lifelong treatments. These patients probably need to be on these medications a long, long time. And if it takes you two more months to figure out if the drug works or not in monotherapy, I think that's really important. If the drug does not work, then we abandon it. We go on to something else. If the drug truly does not work, then I don't want to bring on something else that may be doing the job, and now we have two treatments, one that does the job and one that doesn't do anything. So I feel we owe it to patients to really answer the question, does this JAK inhibitor do anything? That's our job. And if we can do that, great. If we can't, then we need more time. And eventually we need to be able to answer that question. Patients are going to need these drugs long-term. So overall, the study doesn't take away from a key message, and that's good growth in the first three months is a wonderful sign. I want my patients to grow hair back in the first three months. That's what I'm cheering for them. And I think that's really important here. Yes, I would rather a patient grow their hair back in the first three months than the first six months. It's a much better sign. And the absence of growth by months four, five, six doesn't mean it's not going to work, but the chances are diminishing. So we move on now to a nice study by Gargiulo and colleagues. Effectiveness and safety of baricitinib in patients with severe alopecia areata, a 36-week multicenter real-world experience in the journal of Dermatologic Treatment, 2023, December. So baricitinib was FDA approved, as you know, June 2022. And the four milligram dose in the King et al. studies showed that about 35 to 39% of patients with severe alopecia areata achieved a SALT score less than 20 by week 36. So about 40% of patients had some very nice growth, 80% regrowth by week 36. Now, in a new study, not a randomized, double-blind, placebo-controlled trial, but a real-world study looking at their patients in their clinic, they sought to assess the effectiveness of baricitinib in patients with severe alopecia areata. This is what we call a real-world study. No strict inclusion criteria, exclusion criteria. Patients in the clinic that these authors have cared for here in Milan, Italy. So patients received baricitinib 4 milligrams once daily, and they were evaluated at weeks 
0, 16, 24, and 36. There were 50 patients in their study. They came from four dermatology units in Milan. The baseline SALT score was 84, meaning patients had pretty significant alopecia areata. And 60% of patients had very severe alopecia areata, which means a SALT score 95 to 100. Now, of the 50 patients, 34 patients had completed 16 weeks of treatment, 24 patients completed 24 weeks of treatment. There were just 11 patients who completed 36 weeks of treatment. But of those 11 patients, the percentage having a SALT score less than 20 at week 36 or more was 54%. And the authors are quite interested to share that because, of course, in the King study, the proportion of patients that achieved a SALT score less than 20 at week 36 was 40%. So here we have similar data. The authors here, Gargiulo and colleagues, use the term early, gradual, and late responders to mean something a little different than King et al. meant in their study. We just reviewed in the prior study that King et al. used early responders as being someone who achieved a 30% reduction in their SALT score. Here, Gargiulo and colleagues use the term early responder as being someone who achieves assault less than 20. Not just a 30% reduction, but a really nice salt less than 20. And so they looked at the proportion of patients who were early responders, achieved a salt score less than 20 in the first 12 weeks. Gradual responders achieved that salt less than 20 score between week 12 and 36. And late responders, those who achieved a salt less than 20 after week 36. And among all the patients who achieved a salt less than 20, 15.8% were early responders, 68.4% were gradual responders, and 15.8% were late responders. The most reported side effects were high cholesterol in 10 patients and an elevation of creatinine phosphokinase. So this is an interesting study. Real-world data are so important to, to publish and we're going to talk a lot more about this in next week's episode, but real-world data are critical, and I certainly encourage clinicians around the world to publish their data about not only the outcomes with baricitinib, but side effects as well. Clinical trials are not always representative of what goes on in the real world, and we have to remember that. Clinical trials are highly controlled, have inclusion criteria, exclusion criteria, and what goes on in the real world is also important and complements the clinical trial data. This is one of the, the first such real-world data. Yes, it's small, 50 patients. Yes, there's only a small number of patients with 36-week or more data, but it's valuable. The authors find pretty similar data to the BRAVE AAA trials. They had 54% of their patients achieve assault less than 20 by week 36. Now, they had only 11 patients, and the authors are quite excited about their number. We have to remember with, with 11 patients, one, one single patient can skew the, the numbers a lot. There were 6 of 11 patients with a SALT less than 20. Clearly, if it becomes 5 out of 11, the numbers change dramatically. And so with small numbers, we have to be careful. 
But the data here are really important because it reminds us that some patients respond very quickly. Some patients achieve some very, very nice results, even in the first three months. 15.8% of patients achieved 80% regrowth by month three. And most patients respond by week 36. So it's a small study, but it's a helpful study to remind us of the importance of real-world data. We need longer studies. The baricitinib trials and the NICE results presented by Dr. Senna and Dr. King at the AAD this year tell us that, you know, some patients start losing their, their results in, in uh, year two, between week 52 and 104. So clearly we need longer-term real-world data. So in this Gargiulo and colleague study, I hope that the authors continue their data and then follow what happens in year two. Do some patients lose their nice results? And certainly we need these kind of real-world studies. And I think listeners really need to appreciate that randomized controlled trials are necessary. They are the gold standard for drug approval, FDA approval. And we need beautifully designed randomized controlled trials to move our field forward. There's no substitute. But these real-world studies are really important. We need to follow long-term data to understand incidence and prevalence of blood clots, shingles, COVID infections, heart attacks. These are all important to document. Do these occur in our patients in the real world or not? And so listeners should be aware that real-world data really is very valuable and really important. And that randomized controlled trials leading to FDA approval does not mean that the case for any drug is signed and sealed, that these real-world studies are, are really important. But a final point is that we're clearly heading into a bit of a problem with terminology. Early responders and gradual responders and late responders in the Gargiulo et al. study clearly means something differently than in the King et al. study. Same term, different meaning. So we need to, at some point in the future, come to a consensus about what these terms mean. Why? Well, it's nice to be clear on what our terms mean, but as reviews become incorporated into our literature, whether systematic reviews, narrative reviews, meta-analyses, if you're comparing apples and apples, it's great, but if you're comparing apples and oranges, it's a problem. So if you have some study in the future looking at early responders, and one person is looking at assault less than 20 as the term, and one is looking at assault 30 or a 30% reduction in assault, then you're comparing apples and oranges and it's a problem. So we need to come to some sort of a conclusion about what we mean by early, gradual, and late responders. So that brings us to the end of season six, episode number one. So we reviewed here two very nice studies looking at the role of baricitinib in the treatment of severe alopecia areata. We reviewed a very nice study by King et al. asking the question, when does hair grow back in patients starting baricitinib for severe alopecia? King et al.'s study in the British Journal of Dermatology showed that 33% were early responders, achieving a 30% reduction in their SALT score by week 12. 28% were gradual responders, 8% were late responders, and 31% didn't respond at all. We looked at a study by Gargiulo et al. asking the question, how well does baricitinib work in the real world? 
Gargiulo et al. showed here that 54% of their patients who had received the drug at least 36 weeks or more, which here was 11 patients, 54.6% of them achieved a SALT score less than 20. We talked about the importance of real-world data as we go about thinking about the types of studies we need in the world of alopecia areata. So next week we're back. We're back talking about randomized controlled trials versus real oral data. For those of you that are keen to see the references for next week's podcast, I'll put them in the show notes here as well. To connect with our office or to learn more about training programs at the Donovan Hair Academy, you can email us at info at donovanhairacademy.com. And for those of you who are interested in joining me for the 2024-2025 Evidence-Based Hair Fellowship Training Program, I remind you that we're just five weeks away from the deadline to apply. And you can contact us at info at donovanhairacademy.com for more information about the Evidence-Based Hair Fellowship Training Program. I look forward to seeing you next week for another episode of the Evidence-Based Hair Podcast. Thanks so much for joining me today.